we were doing this time trial and I, I posted what was actually the fastest time in the world. We went and celebrated afterwards because we were so excited because I knew how ready that I was. I thought, well, they can dish out whatever they want to dish out. I can handle it. That was Lynn Kanuka, and this is episode 130 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Recently named Canada's greatest female distance runner by Canadian Running Magazine, Lynn Kanuka won medals on numerous international stages and set almost every Canadian middle distance record during the height of her storied career in the 1980s. Born and raised in Regina, Saskatchewan, Lynn now lives just outside of Vancouver, where until 2021, she coached our current Canadian record holder in the marathon, Natasha Wodak. We chatted with Lynn about how she discovered running, what role her father played, and the many influential coaches she had over the years. We also dig into all the details around her 3000 meter bronze medal performance at the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. While this iconic race might be the one she's best known for, Lynn describes other races where she was able to pull even more out of herself and remembers very fondly. We explore the topic of competitiveness, including knowing when to turn it on and when to turn it off, the drawbacks of our instant gratification culture on today's athletes, and why she feels it's harder to be a coach than it is an athlete. We can see why Natasha Wodak had such amazing things to say about Lynn. She goes all in on whatever is important to her and brings her positive attitude everywhere she goes. So without further ado, please enjoy our wide-ranging conversation with Canada's bronze medal lady, Lynn Kanuka. Coach Lynn, we are beyond thrilled to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for making time for us. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, We recently had on our Canadian record holder in the marathon, Natasha Wodak, who, of course, you coached until 2021, I believe. And she had just the most amazing, glowing things to say about you as a coach and as a person. So as soon as we hung up with her, we knew we had to make contact with you because, of course, you are a middle to long distance running legend in your own right. And mm-hmm. if folks don't know, already know uh, your story, they they need to hear it, definitely. So let's back things way up to uh, when you were a teenager in the in the 1970s, I guess. Is that, am I getting the facts <laughs> straight there? Are you really going to date me like that? <laughs> yes, no, for sure. And I, I have to just backtrack too, because of course I love Tash and we have had such a wonderful experience together over many, many years as uh, a special connection for sure. And um, I appreciate that she says nice, kind things about me because I have oh, yes. nothing but kind things to say about her. So, okay, maybe we'll get there. Yes. Oh, yeah, we will definitely. We're going to go all over the map tonight. But um, I think I read somewhere that you had spent many years as a competitive swimmer growing up, but eventually Mm -hmm. you found yourself running up and down a hill made out of garbage. And this excited (laughs) Kim and I very much because we run up and down hill made of garbage. And I think that was intimate relationship with the garbage hill in Winnipeg. (laughs) So this was in Regina. So can you tell? 
tell us a little bit about what led you to running up and down a hill made out of garbage. Oh, it's the truth. And that means I get to speak about my my dear dad. May he rest in peace. And he would be smiling right now. But uh, mm-hmm. I grew up in a smoking, drinking, fun-loving prairie household. And my parents threw us, there's five of us, I, there are five of us in the family, and they would throw us into activities to keep us out of trouble, basically. And uh, so I was thrown into that pool. I was a speed swimmer. Um, you know, I did all kinds of sports, honestly, and, and music and just trying different things. My parents are were wonder, wonderfully supportive in every way. But the motivation was definitely, you. if I catch you down at the school late at night, you're in big trouble, you know. <laughs> so um, I was swimming, but then I got waterlogged. So the short version is I didn't want to swim anymore. And, uh, you know, I think maybe a year or two went by and I was kind of doing s- school sports and so on. Volleyball, I love volleyball, but five foot nothing I was never going to be much of a volleyball player and I miss the the steadiness of of swimming I guess on a regular basis the activity kind of and I was in my last year of high school and young women kind of start their bodies you feel like you change a little bit and I I started to run purely from a fitness perspective I just wanted and I wanted to do something for myself this was not to be competitive Um, and I didn't really have a plan to be honest I just started running from our home to the university and back which was maybe 3k 2k out and 2k back something not not even and my dad came home from work one day and I kid you not he would normally come home pour himself a rum and coke and sit with my mom She would be making dinner, and in theory, I should have been there helping, but I was going for a run. What are you doing? He says to me, and, uh, you know, I said, well, I'm going to go out for a run. It was minus 30 out on Wascana Parkway. You know what that that kind of weather is like, but I loved it, actually. I loved that I had to bundle up and cover my face, and I didn't really have – I didn't have running clothes. Uh, And he – the thing is, my dad said to me – well, why don't you wait a few minutes and I'll come with you? Mm. And that also was a very bizarre thing for him to say. He was supportive, but certainly not active in a fitness perspective way. And me, the teenager, I didn't argue with him. I didn't say, what? Why would you want to come? You know, Uh, but he came and we just trudged out there and, you know, huffing and puffing. Like I try to tell my off the couch people to be careful. You don't need to be huffing and puffing. And he was struggling. We get all the way out there and I turn around, you know, and he says, well, why are we turning around? I said, well, we're done, dad. We're just going to go back. It's time for dinner. And he says, well, we're all the way out here. Why don't you just run up and down that hill a few times? Awesome. Nothing about, he knows about, I suppose, training. He saw us swimming in the pool and he would pick us up and, you know, not really. And I thought to myself, the thing is, I didn't argue then either. I actually found myself running up and down the hill and now I'm huffing and puffing. And I really look back on that as my, my first running workout, if you will, up, up and oh, down. The hill. And that's so uh, special. yeah, it was really, it was really, I, I don't know. Sometimes I just think things happen for a reason. There's a certain energy in life and, uh, 
fact that he wanted me to do this, the fact that I didn't argue and I did mm-hmm. that. And one thing led, one thing leads to another. I think when you're on a, some kind of energy pathway, the doors, the doors open in a certain way, you know? Yes. And so I look that, yeah, that was really, really special. Yeah. You just gave me shivers. Yeah. And so what happened after that? Like you, you had this moment, you had this, oh, okay, discovery mm-hmm. almost of running and this connection with your dad and he was supportive of it. So where did it take you after that? Because obviously there's a, a story between that initial running experience and you winding up at the Olympics. Well, <clears throat> I I normally would have played volleyball in the fall. And that year um, I was also doing this running and the there was a coach that was also a volleyball coach at a different school who heard that I was running and just thought, well, you know, if I backtrack, I did track when it came around on the school season and I, I did well. I wasn't I wasn't winning everything, but I, I was always in there, you know, and, and highly competitive and did all the events like whatever I was asked to do. I did. So he said, oh, Lynn, I heard you're running. You should come to our track club you know so there was a track club in Regina and so coach Larry was my coach I I listened to him I really liked him he was this cool guy who's my dear friend to this day he's maybe 10 years older than I am and he was so ahead of his time as a coach and uh so you know he brought me under under his wing and in that year I qualified for the Canada Games I don't know, I was maybe 16 or 17. And that was pivotal for me because I had so much fun. (laughs) I made, you know, this provincial team and the Saskatchewan athletes that I met at that time are also my dear friends, you know, to this day. And uh, for me, it's always been about, I think in life, you have to be doing things that you enjoy for the most part, you know, um, especially when it involves work and passion outside of, outside of your regular realm of activity. Mm-hmm. And so if I was going to do this sport, whether I was good at it or not, for me, I always needed to be enjoying the people and mm-hmm. my surroundings. And, and I loved the idea of travel. So we went all the way that year to St. John's, Newfoundland. And, you know, it was amazing. And my parents trucked out their camping you know, and uh, they, you know, with the family, I'm the eldest in my family. So the kids, that kids, I was only 16, 17. So there was other four were significantly younger. And we, everything we do, honestly, we're planning a family reunion coming up in only at Easter weekend. So we are a very tight knit family. And, uh, you know, with all of that support and excitement, I, you know, honestly, things happen pretty quickly. I mean, uh, suddenly now I'm, First year university, University of Regina to start with. There's no track team. Coach Larry says, Lynn, you're, I wanted to be a doctor. So I was quite, you know, entrenched in academics as well. And he said, but you can go to U of S in Saskatoon and coach Lyle Sanderson. I don't know if you know anything about Lyle Sanderson. Also may he rest in peace, but oh, such a father to the sport. And he coached, uh, Diane Jones Konahowski, who was a, a very high level um, champion in in the pentathlon at the time. It wasn't the heptathlon at that time. And uh, still, so I thought, well, why not? And I wanted to move away from home. I wanted to try life away from home. So 
I went to U of S first of all, and he coached Lyle. Oh my goodness. Once again, it was a wonderful, wonderful, pivotal year, but I wasn't consistent running in the cold weather with the labs involved in school in the, you know, in, in being a pre-med student and it would be freezing cold. I'd have a lab to do. I'd come out at six o'clock at night and have other homework. And if there wasn't a scheduled indoor practice, I, I wasn't consistent and I wasn't committed, you know, to the sport for where it might go. And Lyle said, you know, Lynn, you have no idea how talented you are and you could probably get a scholarship somewhere. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I had made cross country was my first love. And, uh, I had made a world or a Canadian team for cross country at that point in one of those years. And, um, again, that too was an amazing experience. I stayed in, uh, <clears throat> Oh, I'm going off on a tangent, but this is who I am. So I remember it was in the world championships. I knew nothing about all of this world championship stuff cross country on the team. They were teasing me about the shoes I had and, and uh, the clothes I had in a good way, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met, you know, wonderful people on the national team there and wound up then staying and hitchhiking around Ireland afterwards. And, you know, just making it fun, having, having a really good time doing it and not serious enough in the moment, but not really realizing what all that would mean. And so Lyle said, you should try to get a scholarship to a warm weather place, follow your academics somehow or another. And I went to the library and just thought, well, where could I go? I don't know. And I thought, well, I'm going to go somewhere warm then. I'm going to go. So I, I literally just, you can't, this doesn't happen these days. I mean, I pulled out books. Who does that? Pamphlets, you know, things to find out how I could call and where I could send a resume of some sort. And uh, so I did that. And I was surprised to hear back from many different universities, actually. Uh, I think mostly because I had made a world cross country team and I was ranked in the top in Saskatchewan, say, and it's certainly amongst in the country that way. And uh, I wound up in San Diego and I, here comes my, my dear dad and my mom too. But my dad was like, you're doing what? You're going to San Diego. People go to San Diego for holidays, not for school. Like, what do you, right. well, yeah, right. you want to be <laughs> yeah. a doctor? You know? I, we love Get that you serious. Run, but what Lynn, is this? Come on. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say, oh, we'd love to come on holiday to visit oh, you in God. San Diego. <laughs> well, he uh, always seemed to say the right thing. And even when push came to shove and it was, I've got this plane ticket and I'm going off now to San Diego. And my friends too were we're coming to visit you. I mean, oh yeah. 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 But I didn't really, I think, understand what I was getting into in a sense. I really didn't have a clear pic- picture of what it meant to be a serious athlete in the U S and, and it was about, wow, I'm going to get my school paid for. That's crazy. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, but I remember having some trepidation, right, right in the last day or two before I was leaving. Not that I was not going to go, but I mean, it was a big, it was a life decision mm-hmm. for me at mm-hmm. the time. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, my, I remember dad saying, you know, you can go, you can experience what you're going to experience and you can always come home. Right. Home is always here. Oh, and I think amazing. Yeah. you just have that calm that comes over you. And I think 
no matter where you're at, again, it's, I think sport is life. You can be in any sort of situation that causes some sort of anxiety and you know that the people you love, they love you. You've got a home and they're always going to be there for you. And really what is, what does matter over time? What is, what is the most important thing? And that's, that is that uh, it's a journey and it's having those loved ones share in it and be part of it and be in your world and, and keep yeah. you in a balanced place, you know. What a, what a gift that was of your, for your parents, right? To say that, to sort of let you spread your wings mm-hmm. and know that you can always come back home. Like what a perfect way to leave home, right? Mm-hmm. To know that I can always mm-hmm. come back if I need to. But, you know, it's really interesting as you're telling that story, because I think up until this point, everything to do with running has been couched in fun, right? And very, like you had amazing mm-hmm. coaches and they always made sure that, you know, you were keeping it fun. And so when you went to San Diego, were there any differences there in terms of like, oh, this is serious now, like this is, you uni- I'm running for a university or was like, what were the coaches like there? Mm-hmm. Oh, my coach, if he was listening, my coach there, Fred, I connected with him. I mean, I spoke to a number of coaches ahead of time. It was all on telephone. And uh, I got the best feeling from him in terms of a, a connection. And it was fun, but, but for sure, uh, all of a sudden, it was about team. But then team goes to another level when you have to run five events in a weekend. And, uh, you know, you never really reach your potential in any one of those events. And I didn't really analyze it too much of a few years into it when I now had a a boyfriend uh, from there who was frustrated for me and that you're, you're faster than that. And you never have a chance to run Mm -hmm. fast because you're always running the 15, the Mm -hmm. five, the even the 10 and uh, relays and so on. But I really, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been as bothered until they started to talk like that because I still didn't have any idea of my, my potential really. But I know that there were a couple of gals on the team who didn't always run as many events as I did. I was quite versatile. And I always kind of thought, I'm actually better than you are. Mm -hmm. But I never, I'm always exhausted Mm -hmm. when I'm running my favorite events like the 1500, you know. So, you know, flash forward to my boyfriend who became my husband uh, in years to come later on. When he came to visit me too, he was this is ridiculous. You know, you're, and I've spent every summer I was always injured because I would come off the the season and, uh, you know, I, I never realized my potential in, in any event. And I I was always laden with a stress fracture or what have you. And, uh, so I would take the summer off and just be working and trying to recover and, and go back to, you know, school in the fall. And, uh, when it was over, I loved my experience and don't get me wrong, Fred, if you're listening, (laughs) it was how you ran the program and we did win. We won conference championships and I was part of that excitement as well, but I was kind of done though. Uh, By the end of my university there, I was done. I thought I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to come home and refinish what my original goal was. And uh, my boyfriend, my ex husband now, but a very dear friend of mine, he said at the time, the Olympics are are a year from now. Why don't we focus 
well, first we had to get through the, the very first world championships. Now I'm, I'm forgetting these things, but 1983, that summer they were in Finland. It was an amazing event. And for me, the, the astounding runner at the time was Mary Decker in the world championships in Helsinki, the very first ones. And she won both of my events that I was in. She won the 15 and the three and beat the Russians, which was a huge, big deal. When I finished what I was eighth or ninth or something, but it was my first time. So my, my husband to be Paul Williams, we got married shortly after that. And he said, let's train. He was Canada's best 10,000 meter runner, five and 10 at the time we met on a, on a team, you know, he was from Ontario and uh, he said, why don't we train and try to make the Olympics, you know? And so I put everything on hold and thought, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe I can. And then I found a different coach here. Who's also wonderful gal. I met her also on one of the teams that I made for cross country, Thelma, right? Thelma's an infamous name in our sport, fabulous runner back in the day, stopped, I, in fact, broke her records to move forward. We, I've followed in her footsteps in many ways. She's got four kids. We have four kids, two boys, oh. two girls, kids, dogs, cats. It's really funny. She's small like me. And, uh, you know, I met her and thought when I came back to Canada from the States, I thought, oh, maybe she would coach me. And so she did. But she recognized also that I was doing way too many races. And so when I was finally able to just focus on that one, just like that, I ran so yeah. much faster and, you know, in fact, qualified people didn't, didn't believe it. I went to Seattle and ran a race and ran the Olympic standard. And I, I don't know, I improved 15 seconds in the three K or something. And it was like, yeah. what? Yeah. you know, was this a legitimate event? Hey. No. And uh, well, it just as I'm listening to this, so you had had all male coaches up until when Thelma began to to coach mm. you. So did you notice any differences being coached by a woman? Oh, and, yes. Yeah, good I did. question. Yes, for sure. Okay. Yeah, that's a it is a really good question. There are, are huge differences. Uh, you just you just relate. I mean, we're women talking here. You just relate to one another in a in an entirely different way. Uh, there's intrinsic things that happen. There's emotional things. There's just um, we're different. We're a different species, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think we can safely acknowledge that and understand those differences need to be both celebrated and understood. And so, as coaches, we all can have a connection to male, female, or whoever. But um, you know, for sure. I, I so appreciated what it meant to have a woman as my coach. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to get into political uncomfortable arena of, t of conversation here, but, you know, in the last several years, you know, a lot has come to light about how male coaches have related to young female athletes and not always in the best way. Um, did you experience mm -hmm. any of that in your time and was it a challenge? Hmm. That is a good question. It's hard not to be political, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, for sure. But the times were somehow different. Okay. We had to yeah. learn to just, I don't know what, toughen up. And, you know, if you were unhappy with something, you either walked away from it or told, you know, lay off. Mm -hmm. You had to use mm -hmm. your words and steer clear of whoever 
may be somehow approaching you in, a, in an inappropriate way or speaking to you, to you, meaning me. Or treating you like a anybody. small man, right? Like that book, women are just, <laughs> they're not women. just small men, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. coaching you, you know, mm-hmm. you just alluded to that, how, you know, we're different creatures and, and a, yeah. a woman coach yeah. will relate to you differently. So that's, this has been around for a long time, mm-hmm. I guess is my point. It's not just a new thing totally. that everybody's all of a sudden yeah. discovering, right? No, and I, I think what's important is to feel empowered as as people mm-hmm. always to be true to yourself and authentic. And if something is not comfortable in any way, shape, or form, it's okay to, to both say so and to act in a way that then you're protecting yourself from anything that doesn't yeah, feel right. right. Yeah. Okay, so you thrived mm-hmm. under Coach Thelma, and you ended up running yes. the Olympic standard. Like, the, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. Like, it doesn't sound like you were dreaming of getting to the Olympics all your life. Like, it just sort of step by step by step, following mm-hmm. your passion, just putting one foot in front of the other, and all of a sudden, wow, the Olympics are actually attainable for yeah. me. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. When did it really come on your radar that it was a, a complete possibility for you to make the Olympics? Well, I mean, I should say it's not like I had no awareness of the Olympics. My family, my parents are both total armchair athletes. And I grew up with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. For <laughs> of course. So that is the Olympic <laughs> final when they're, in the, when they're in the Grey Cup, which they won when I was a kid. But anyways, um, you know, they, they, when the Olympics were on, we always, it was always, when we had a TV, didn't even always have a TV, but when we did, boy, we were watching the Olympics. And in my sport, um, when I was at a formative age, there was a, a swimmer in the U.S. His name is Mark Spitz, and he dominated, you know, the world of swimming. He had, I don't know how many Olympic medals he went, won, to be honest, but I remember being actually somewhat in awe of that. But but what was it wasn't that I thought. I thought how great it would be to be in such a position, but I didn't see myself right. there, you know, certain, no one look, I'm like five foot, nothing. I grew up in Saskatchewan minus 30. Nobody looked. At me. I do say that when I speak to, especially young people, you know, dream big because, you know, you just really never know what the future holds. And so I do feel honestly that I'm an example yeah. of that. Um, I think once I won, once I, not won, once I, I ran that Olympic standard in Seattle with Thelma, that's when, you know, we looked at one another and she was like, you know, Lynn, you're, you're going to get there. You know, you're going to get there. And I said, I am. And, you know, made me at that point, very motivated and very excited. And don't get me wrong. I, I like to be, have fun, but for sure, I'm, I was highly competitive. Even when I, wasn't you know back in whatever high school I would I would push myself to the well we can say when I wasn't that fit and I would be running in a track race or when I first started cross country and I I you know would run my heart out you know Mm -hmm. and uh so yeah not trained but but still super competitive you know so you made it to the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles, yes. and mm. this race was 
iconic for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was the very first time women were allowed to run that far in the Olympics. I don't know if I actually have vivid memories of this Olympics because I would have only been seven years old, I think. But I Mm -hmm. must have watched enough footage from it that I feel like I, I remember it. But Women were allowed to run 3,000 for the first time, and it was also iconic for another reason, too. It was a a little bit steeped in controversy, that race. Did you want to tell us a little bit about kind of lay the groundwork politically of what was going on at that time um, and in those games in particular? Oh, well, uh, it was what was called apartheid, and so there were a number of countries that were not invited to compete in those LA Olympic games. And um, one such runner was, who was running very, very fast in the world was from South Africa and her name is Zola Budd. And she had some citizenship which allowed her to compete for England. And so that being said, there was a whole bunch around that. How, how can that happen? You're South African and now you're running for, Great Britain. And um, so there was a tension on her, poor thing. She was just a tiny little waif from, from South Africa running in bare feet. So that was attention getting. And she was very quiet and soft-spoken, but an, an amazing runner. And she was doing her thing, training and posting these amazing times. And meanwhile, um, it was all about Mary Decker, who was America's sweetheart. I mean, one of the most beautiful runners you could ever imagine watching. And, you know, the year before she had whomped on everybody in, in the world championships. So it was, you know, everything was focused around these two athletes and what was going to happen when they faced one another. And it's kind of crazy. That's what the media loves to do is focus, you know, create these hyper crazy stories, which, it was a story, but there were some really great runners in that field from many countries yeah. Yeah. as well. Uh, and we all knew it was going to be a really, really fast okay. race. Um, we also knew going in, well, for me, a few weeks before, maybe three weeks before, I guess, we did a time trial out just at where I train out in Swan Guard Stadium, where I used to train with my little training group and Thelma was, oh, pregnant out to here (laughs) with her second child. And she was trying to give me splits as we're doing that. And I remember, I think I even shouted her, stop running across the field. You're going to have a baby. (laughs) Like crazy, crazy scenario. Women, a woman coaching a woman. Here we go. And there's, I had high school and first year university guys in my training group at that point and some others too, but we were doing this time trial and I, I posted what was actually the fastest time in the world at a quiet, unofficial time right, trial. You right. know? And we, we went and celebrated afterwards because it was, we were so excited because I knew how ready mm. that I was. I thought, well, they can dish out whatever they want to dish out. I can handle it. So you're flying under the radar a little bit, totally. right? Like mm-hmm. I know I can run with these women, but no one knows yeah. that I can like be in the mix here. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, we've had, you know, who was it uh, on our podcast that talked about being a dark horse is actually a real advantage, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when 
people don't know, it takes the pressure off. And listen to you right now, even now, how many years later, you're like cool as a cucumber. I knew I could yeah. handle it. Like, yeah, it's all good. It was so well excited though, like just bubbled up inside, you know, and yeah. uh, yeah, and oh, I just uh, you also have to be really strong for the rounds, you know, these days it's different again. We actually had to have, well, if you backtrack in those days with the Olympics, teams, it was allowable to have at least one, one athlete could represent your country, even not having Olympic standard. You could, every country could send one athlete and you could send up to three. If one had Olympic standard, then that meant everyone else had to have Olympic standard and you could send up to three Mm -hmm. people in each event. Now there's, there's just, there are more restrictions on that and they don't, so there are far fewer competitors that actually are at the games themselves because they're so big with so many events. It's hard to, I I mean, I guess that's why it's gone this route, but we had three rounds. So we had heats, we had semis and finals. Now it essentially goes from, goes, um, you know, from heats to the final in the 5k, Mm 5,000 meters and Mm -hmm. up we're doing. I was doing, we were doing 3K then because our uteruses might fall right. out. Of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Funny. And the 3,000 only crazy? lasted, what, one more Olympics after that before moving up to the 5,000? Is that right? I think yeah. it did. I, 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 I'm not certain, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we ran a few, only a few, but yeah, yeah. So that's what happened. And I, I made it through the hardest part for any athletes in the games or any major competition is to get through those rounds because they're so strategic and, you know, in the final, that's what counts is getting into that final. And then, you know, anything. So um, making it to the final and, uh, and Thelma was so pregnant and due and, and we didn't have, emails and we had telegrams right oh, oh my, my goodness people kids these days they don't even know what a tell what is a telegram you know we were we were going to this center to find out if we had telegrams before right. we were racing to get messages from our coaches and I knew my coach was having a right baby. right and oh my uh goodness. and she sent me the greatest message um she says uh she says your it'll make me cry (laughs) she said your godson Mm. anthony madison wright came out fighting you go ahead and do that tomorrow and that was the night before my race so i knew two things one she had a baby boy two he was going to be my godson and three the message was so powerful and i just was like oh my god how could you not just burn hot the next day like wow that is an unbelievable story wow and so again you're you're going into this race kind of like no one's eyes are on you all the attention seems to be on mary decker and zola bud and in a way did that calm you like just knowing okay i my my coach just had her baby i'm the godparent and i'm mm-hmm. freed up to just go out there and yeah. do my thing oh i think i mean i think all of that for sure and remember too we didn't have all the social media and attention we had to wait to see what came up in the the kind of daily olympic la paper yeah. to find out what people were thinking everything was delayed so you you couldn't 
I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about anything except what, what my own job was once I got yeah. in there. Yeah. And uh, it's much easier. There's no dis- distraction. As, as coaches, we spend time trying to help our athletes figure out not to be distracted by multitude of things, you know. So, no, I really... I was, I suppose, nervous, but much more nervous, excited, you know, to just, just get in there. So walk us through. And my family was there too. They're in the stands. Who was there? My family, my, my folks drove down once again. One of my siblings were there. And yeah, it was great. So I know our listeners have probably heard this in the intro, but let's just repeat the outcome of that race. What happened? So, oh, we were on world record pace and it was a tight bunch pack and Mary and Zola went right to the front as was predicted. They were both front runners and they were side by side and I'm just tucked in the middle somewhere. And there was a lot of jostling because it was so tight. We were bumping into one another. I get smacked in the shoulder instead of lower mm-hmm. down. Cause I'm mm-hmm. small. It was mm-hmm. annoying as all heck, but, but uh, they collided. Mary and Zola Bud collided, and Mary went down on the track in about lap four, maybe. And we all had to do a big dipsy doodle to step over the commotion. And, uh, you know, a couple of other athletes went down as well, uh, strong contenders, and nobody really talks about them. But we all thought I did. I thought I'd come around and Mary would rejoin the pack. But when we came around, you know, she was she was down and it was then it hit me you know wow arguably the olympic favorite gold medal favorite is down on the track you know are you kidding me uh, the crowd was booing i remember another lap went by where i don't even remember it like uh, we slowed down everybody got we went from being a pack to spreading out and then i just remember hearing the ding 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 of the bell lap and waking up and just going, Lynn, you know, you got to self-talk, talk to yourself, wake up. It's the last lap. You're in the final, get going. You know, what now? One person in front of you, try to, try to pass them. Tempo, arms, like all the things that you teach. My coaches taught me, my coach taught me, and they, you know, over the years you practice these things. And uh, yeah, so one, I went by one and another. And then I realized that Zola Bud was, coming back to me somehow like she was you know the monkey had jumped on her back I guess and uh so I realized I could pass her and then I looked and if I passed her I was gonna be in bronze medal position I was like oh my god I can get a medal and that's what I remember is sprinting as hard as I could on the back stretch and then into the final 200 you know and by then everybody else had woken up as well and the uh, one of the other Americans in the field, one fell down and the other one went wound up fourth behind me, but I didn't know it was her, but I could hear someone breathing and I was like, get going, yeah. you know? And so that's what happened. I won a you bronze, won a bronze medal, medal, which is just um, uh, like yeah. for anyone that hasn't seen that race, you must go back. We'll link it up in the show notes. I, I could watch it. I think I've watched oh. it five times. Like it's so good. What a good, good race. <laughs> but um, I, what I was curious Uh, to know, and you've kind of spoken to it a little bit was how aware were you that Mary had gone down? Like, I know she was kind of right there in the infield, but you actually took notice like, okay, she's down. So that means I, right. Right. Over her. And then 
again the next time around it sounds like but did you know what place you were in and and all of that like how aware were you that you were in that bronze medal position towards the end oh yeah I was I was aware because my my strategy was to be in the middle meaning I think there were a dozen of us in the race so I was maybe in sixth or seventh place when it all happened and so nothing really changed. She went down and then we just simply were where we were and just got spread out. So I, I guess I was in where I was, but then when I kind of woke up, I, when I passed one, maybe I moved into sixth or fifth, you know, and then I just remember what I do remember is looking up, it's the bell lap. And I think I went by Zola maybe with around 300 to go or so. And then I real count, then I could count. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I could, a medal that was pretty then I realized I was totally cognizant of that you know and just just going for it I remember doing the best I could running as fast as I could at that point but it was quite unreal uh the way the way it evolved the way it all happened yeah well yeah could great work on your part it's too bad Mary fell obviously you know unfortunate for her devastating Mm -hmm. but um Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a story. I've just been sitting here spellbound because I don't know this story. Carolyn knows the story. I didn't know the story. Oh. This is amazing. Yeah. 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 Of course it was super exciting, but years later, uh, I mean, people I'm probably best known for that race, I guess, but it certainly, it wasn't actually my very mm. best race. There, there were two that probably were my very best races. And one was in, in Seoul. Carolyn, you mentioned it when we were just chatting. Um, and I really appreciate that you understand the sport. But when we went to Seoul four years later, there were no boycotts. Everybody was there. And if you can imagine, at that point, the, the communist countries, well, the USSR was no longer, the Iron Curtain came down. So where in years previous even in world championships years before the us ussr had the their three athletes there well now we've got all the eastern bloc countries and they've all got you know two or three athletes that are star studded right. you know so it was really major to even make make the final and then I finished uh, fifth in the 1500. I didn't have a great race in the three, but I luckily had the 15 to focus on. And uh, I was fifth there, but I was all of, you know, I don't know what it was, 10th of a second from a silver medal, actually. We we were all together with 100 meters to go and just, except for one, the lead gal was, uh, well, I can just say it. She definitely was, was. Uh, had some her, assistance. Her, yeah, she might have had some assistance. Mm, That's right. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. And so that that world record stood for a long time. In fact, I think it still stands at 352. But uh, she um, won by a landslide. And then we, the rest of us, came in in and around four minutes. And so that was uh, a great run for me. And sure, I could be sad that I didn't win a medal, but I wasn't because I really, you can never be unhappy with getting the best out of yourself. And it was a little frustrating in the media tent afterwards because there was a disappointment that I hadn't won a medal and I was like no I'm happy this was the best I could have done on this day you know and then um in 89 
I went to the World Cross Country Championships and they were in Stavanger, Norway, and I won a, a bronze medal there. I'm the bronze lady. <laughs> <laughs> I won uh, the bronze medal and it was amazing because again, within our sport and especially at that time, World Cross was huge because you had people from, you know, 1500 meters all the way up to 10K, even the marathon, the likes of Ingrid Christensen and Greta Weitz, uh, they would come and they would run cross country because it was a big part of their programs. And so, and you've got, you know, a team of six from all these different countries. And so it was very much a team sport and uh, individual yeah. as well. Yeah. And in those years, you know, I, in reflection, I have to, I do recall that I, I mean, as an athlete, as coaches, we evolve with different scenarios. And uh, I had uh, transitioned to a different training group. Thelma remained oh, a strong personality, mentor, uh, friend, and, you know, just somebody full of guidance. But I transitioned to a group with Dr. Doug Clement. Dr. Doug, we call him, and then Mama C, his wonderful wife, who was um, a chef, and they, together they created you know, multiple books. And uh, she was a manager on the national team for many years. And so uh, it was a, a kind of a different environment. And it was it was necessary for me, um, you know, at that time, all the stages, it's, it's really important to um, recognize that, you know, the people, the places, the things that present themselves, it's a, it's a journey. And it's, uh, it can be and it's difficult. A team at effort. Times. It's a total team effort mm-hmm. and it it, mm-hmm. it does it comes from the heart and the people that are around you always have to be authentic and and true and i think very much my experiences after that you know were so influenced by by those two wonderful people and then a, yeah. you know the collection of of life and people in it well, we don't get anywhere alone, right? And even when it's an individual sport, I think it's it's even more seductive to think that, oh yeah, it's just this great talented athlete who's doing everything on their own. And it's not. There's so many people behind the scenes that are part mm-hmm. of your success. So I love that it really speaks to your character, I think, of how much you um, are conscientious about giving those people behind your success the, the limelight and the credit that they deserve. I think I've heard you say that young people need those international competition opportunities to really develop, right? And learn what it is like to perform under pressure and perform on a world stage. Could you talk a little bit about that side of things? Because that's, you know, our our listeners are probably not never going to go to the Olympics or never have gone to the Olympics. And so I I really... Mm would love you to paint that picture of like, what is, what does it mean for an athlete like you to have that right competition environment? Mm -hmm. Oh, I, well, I think it's important at, at any, at any level, if your, if your goals are to perform, if your goals are to complete an event, that's a whole different game, you know, but if you're trying to get the best out of yourself in terms of, of performance and quick running, you've got to be able to experience true competition. So the expectation that it's just going to boom, come together without having that experience is, is unrealistic. We talked a little bit about distractions and, and what it's like to be placed in, in an environment that is so uh, big and, and focused and important and, 
you know, all of that, uh, never mind the fact that you could be super fit and ready to go, but you could crumble under just all of the circumstances, you know, everything from, from time changes to travel, to food, to crowds, to media attention. Like you just, you can't, and see being star studded. If you're like I was in Helsinki, for example, way back in the day, I was in awe of all these, wow, look at that so-and-so and and that so-and-so and and I'm here. What am I doing? Yeah. Right. I, without that experience, yeah, I, who knows? And it, it began even with the Canada games for me back as a young uh, high school athlete. So, and we do have those opportunities. Sadly, some of the standards are, are even very, very tough for our, Mm -hmm. for our kids to get there. So it's hard to have those experiences, but it's really important to try. And, and I certainly have voiced that when I've been in uh, athletics, Canada, you know, situations with, with being on the board and with just even as a coach and just voicing my, my thoughts on how important it is that we support as best we can our younger athletes that they have international experiences. You can't get from grassroots to here. It takes, it takes all those uh, experiences along the way. And we do have a team of, of coaches and managers. We have a really strong team at the, at the at athletics Canada level these days. Um, our head coach, Glenroy Gilbert was our, um, he was on, on the Olympic team for the relay team back in the day in the, he's of my vintage. So, and he understands this. And so there's a really, a wonderful uh, leadership component there. So, but oh, if you don't have it, just imagine. What well, it's like. yeah, you, you speak to how much we ask of the athletes, right? And I say we as in the Canadian public and, you know, the media and whatever, you're really highlighting how the running is like one quarter of what it takes to actually succeed and perform at the Olympics. You need to be able to filter through all that noise and, and, and Mm -hmm. focus and, you know, all of that. And we, we know it, we pay lip service to it, but you're really making me feel it as you speak and how we Mm -hmm. need to respect that there's so much else going on for athletes beyond just the running. Oh, there's such a, that, I think that's the question that sports psychologists and those that analyze sport in general, but our sport as well, just what is, what does it take Mm -hmm. to be a champion? What are the ingredients? And the truth is most of the time, the cream does rise to the top. The very, very best somehow manage to put it together. And for sure, they're physically super talented. Um, Sometimes it's phenomenal what what you see out Mm -hmm. there but by and large like when you're on the line there are many factors and there's a lot up Mm -hmm. here Uh, that sort of Mm -hmm. mental strength is is super um paramount and you know some would say it's 99 you hear that it's 99 percent mental i don't know what the statistic is but you have to be able or the percentage is but you really have to be able to look to yourself and find within yourself the ability to isolate yourself from all those of the noise as you said Kim yeah absolutely yeah yeah and that and you can't do that without experience right exactly yeah so it's putting yourself in those competitive environments is going to be the thing that that puts you under you know the right circumstances to potentially Mm -hmm. have that negative voice come up or that self-doubt and then be able to work with it and work 
you know, around it and develop skills and tools to work through it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so that was a question I did want to ask you um, when we get to your, your coaching a little bit, but it feels very timely (laughs) to talk about it right now is that you were always like what very much struck me in watching all your races is like, you're a competitor, like you are gritty and you are tough and you are in there and you can never be counted out because you're, you're always right there, you know, but, um, off the track and having this conversation, and I have to imagine you were probably like this, uh, in your twenties as well, is that you're super chill and you're so positive and, and have such a great, great attitude. And so do you think that that played into your success or how much do you think that played into your success of just, I'm happy to be here. I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm going to believe in myself and, and give myself the best and chance. And where does that come from? And where does that, how do we I all know, get that? I know. Win? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, you know, I, thank you for the, for those nice words, nice thoughts. Um, but I, I am away from, away from, times when I don't need to be competitive. I'm not, I mean, you got to make your prior, pick your, pick your priorities. Pick your battles. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, this is a sidebar. It's really interesting, but I was leading a walking tour. It was fantastic. It was on the Camino for before COVID for, um, alumni BC raising funds for, for UBC alumni UBC. And we had such a collection of people and my job was just to be social and support everybody. And I let a few warm ups and whatnot and helped with blisters and, you know, the things that happen on a lot of walking. But what was interesting was one gal who was up in the kind of very quickly, there were the, the kind of the walkers that were very driven fitness oriented, they are walking, you know, and we've got a course every day and they're going to be the first ones to finish this thing. And then there's the middle of the road, the middle packers who are still taking some time to smell the roses. And then there's the ones that are, are doing their own thing. They got, they're taking photos of everything. They're sauntering along, they're detouring, you know, and the one gal, this one gal up at the front, and I was trying to keep everybody somewhat together. So but the one gal at the front says, uh, she says, I don't understand it. You're this Olympic person. Why aren't you up here like leading us? Like, why aren't you there way ahead of the rest of us? You know? <laughs> and I was, it was a really interesting study of human nature <laughs> with that group versus each of the groups. And honestly, there's, you see that in any, any training group really yeah. with, you know, the way people approach things, but, uh, you know, I had to be kind of careful and just say, well, I, I guess I picked my battles. It's not really important to me to, you know, finish in the front. In fact, I want to smell the roses and I'm not sure the best experience is happening right up here where you're, you're missing some of the things that are going on uh-huh. along the route, mm-hmm. you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then they, we all, we talked about it afterwards. Cause I thought, oh, this is a good good talking point but I mean can I could I be up here all the time sure could you be cracking the whip and pushing everybody and making them feel inferior for being so slow you could but you didn't (laughs) right but you know but I think in general you know people either cower from competitive competitiveness they it's just not in their makeup and they can't understand it or there are those that 
really are. And I just think that's kind of everywhere in life. What I think is the most important thing is just being real with your experience and actually not worrying about what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. What they're doing is their thing. So you make your thing. And it's no different at an, in an Olympic final. I mean, those that are there are going to be highly competitive. Uh, but when you enter a, you know, I'm so involved with local events and run the Vancouver Sunrun or the BMO Vancouver Marathon. I mean, those that are when it's important to get your to strive to get your personal best time, that's great. Yeah, yeah. But that's irrelevant to somebody who doesn't care about that. Mm -hmm. you know? Right, right. And they're both really important, mm -hmm. the, the goals and the dreams and the wishes. And yep, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and you spoke about this a little bit earlier, and I wanted to circle around to it because I think it's really important, um, especially in the context of this coaching conversation, and Kim and I coached as mm -hmm. well. And um, it's that role of, your, so you're talking about back when you competed, you had to telegraph <laughs> away and, and wait a day and um you know, mm -hmm. you couldn't get that instant feedback as easily as you can today. And right now, everything is so at our fingertips. And overall, what's your kind of like, is that helping us or hindering us? Mm. What's What's been your oh, experience working with, especially the <laughs> high level, high performing athletes? Yeah. I mean, I'm old fashioned, right? So <laughs> I... I coach in an old fashioned way too. I, I can't tell you how many times I told Tosh to take her watch off, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then I had to learn that, no, she's not going to take her watch off. So we got to cope with this. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think that's, Oh, and even one of our, our first workouts, I remember I had, I have a loop that's approximately a mile in a park. Approximately. You know, she's kind of doing air quotes right now. <laughs> yeah, she, and that's the worst thing a roadrunner ever wants to hear is approximately. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so funny because she, you know, we of course meshed really well together, but it was hilarious. She, she, uh, you know, she'd be out there an hour ahead and <laughs> measuring to find out exactly what the mile was. And I would say, I don't care, Tashi. We're going to run from the rock. You're starting at the rock and you're going to finish at the rock. And I know when you're fit, you're going to run it in. Yeah. This is what it's going to be. Right, you know, right. and it really doesn't matter how far it is. It's just, it's a different way mm -hmm, of doing mm -hmm. things. We have a loop in Stanley Park that's called, um, it's Beaver Lake. It's right in the middle of Stanley Park in Vancouver. And when you're fit, I could tell you exactly what time you're going to do and what that's going to equate to for a 5k. But the measurement, it's maybe, I don't know, might be about 910 right. meters. Maybe I'm not right. sure people have measured it. And some now don't do one lap. They do one lap plus whatever that extra is to make it a thousand meters, oh you know, yeah. but um, so do I think it's, do I, whether, you know, I think whether I think it, I think it's hard. I do think it's really hard to have constant, first of all, the constant need to find out what others are doing yeah. and then the constant feedback on whatever you might be doing if you're posting. And then there's the pressures of, of being an influencer and hopefully gaining maybe some recognition for that. That's another whole mm -hmm. pressure, another whole reason for it, mm -hmm. but it's very challenging. Uh, it's important to have perspective on it. It's here to stay. Yep. Can you shut it off? No. You can. Some do. Uh, but by and large, it comes back 
to you in some way, shape or form. I mean, even results around the world, we don't, we never used to know who was doing what we'd go to the Olympics and try to find out what people were doing. What was their best time? We didn't know. And even the best times that were listed in the paper or on the, the kind of the research book were probably outdated, you know? Right. So, so instead we really raced. Yeah. You know, one can't argue that world times are getting faster, right? So obviously human evolution is, is progressing Mm -hmm. in that area. But I, you know, as Mm a non, I'm an ultra marathon runner. I love to just run in the forest and smell the roses Mm -hmm. and take the pictures for hours and days on end. But my perspective of, yeah, the, the road running in the Olympic, um, track arena, it's obviously progressing. People are getting faster. People are motivating mm-hmm. each other to evolve. But there's a cost, right? And what what is it doing to our psyches? What are we sacrificing to achieve that? You know, I listen to you and I, I picture that chef in the kitchen versus the cook. <laughs> the chef right. throws a bunch of ingredients in and smells the soup and it seems right. <laughs> and it's like, yep, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We've got, we've got a winner. Yeah. And then a cook needs the exact ingredients. And, you know, oh, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to assess it. I, there was a vineyard I visited near Comox years ago where they, the new owners were, she was a, like a chemist and she was testing mm-hmm. all of the different, you know, <laughs> levels of tannins and, and sugars to know how much preservatives to add. And you've got to think, you know, there's definite benefit to that. We've progressed in times and performance results, but at the same time, mm-hmm. we, we want to maintain that ability to be that chef and just to be intuitive and to feel what's right in that moment. Sure. And that's what I'm hearing from you is, you know, you, you tend to work mm-hmm. more that way, like rock to rock versus, oh, totally. <laughs> versus mark you to can't. mark. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's too, the way things have evolved in the, in the coaching profession here in Canada, we, we no longer teach certification courses. We facilitate because oh. by facilitating, you encourage others to share and to share what they might be doing to learn from one another, to maybe come up with new ideas that you might not have thought of Mm -hmm. before, as opposed to a teacher who says, well, this is what I did, because what, what works for one for sure, I would never hesitate to share the kinds of sessions uh, Tashi and I did, for example, uh, because it's not about, (laughs) it may not work for another. And you know what, we're striving to, improve and to do better and to make a difference and so um we're only helping we're only helping the sport but there's also no it's it's about it is about listening it's so much Uh about listening and seeing and yes well sasha golash we had sasha golash on in Mm -hmm. i don't know how long ago it was she really talked about just that you know she'll go for a run and 10 minutes into the run when she knew something wasn't right it wasn't right (laughs) And that was it for the day. Right. And she'd come in and have cookies and that milk. And the next day she'd go yeah. in again. And she's evolved in her um, uh, mm. self-awareness. She had enough experience. She started as like a, what I would say a cook and became a chef, right? Mm. With learning to just yes. accept, believe, yeah. you know, um, be relaxed in the confidence of what she could accomplish on a given day 
um, when her body was ready. So I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I'm kind of rambling a little bit here, but it's it really fascinating to talk to somebody with a level of experience that you have and I, perspective. I think it's important to understand too, that we have, especially with women, we have an incredible, you know, group of women these days that are, you know, into their mature years and they're running, you know, better than ever beyond when anybody else would have, you know, in years gone by. And it's, it's, so I think with Sasha and, you know, Melindy and with Natasha and many Mm -hmm. that are, uh, quote, older, if you will, it's fantastic because they do learn. Mm -hmm. We do learn as we mature, I guess, maybe we never mature. I don't know, (laughs) but we, we learn things about ourselves. You know, we learn to trust what our instincts are. And that only comes a lot of times if you've got a a coach that recognizes that, then maybe they are able to bring that out in a younger athlete by the way of the program. But, but when an athlete, you know, grows to where they can understand what, what feels right for themselves, that's, that's another whole level that a younger athlete maybe can't can't go there yeah yeah Yeah, they just don't have the ability to go there there. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so you've coached you know I I said this before you've coached high performers like Natasha Wodak you've coached everyday people Mm -hmm. people getting off the couch Um, I've also heard you say it's harder to be a coach than an athlete so I was wondering if you could expand (laughs) on that a little bit what makes coaching so much harder than being an athlete oh it's so hard. <laughs> I love it. And it's, it's, it's not hard in the sense of not wanting to do it. It's hard because I've said that even with my groups, I'm like, oh my God, I run every step of the way inside and out with everything that you do, yes. everything I plan. I feel yeah. everything. I feel your joy. I feel your, you know, the things that don't go well. I feel the, you know, the decision side of things and wanting, you can't, you can get to a place with uh, your athletes where you know they're as best prepared as they could ever be, but they still have to be the ones to go do it. You can't, it's like a mother, I guess. You can't do it for them. They have to, they have to survive and make it happen for themselves. And you just have to somehow hope that you can provide the tools for them to do that. And so it's, oh yes, I think that's, um, yeah. I mean, I fell into it and, And I've loved every minute of it, but that is the essence of truly just coaching with your, I guess, with your heart. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel you on that one. Like I, I, for better or for worse, really get invested in my, Mm -hmm. in the people that I coach and I care about them. And like, sometimes my husband will say like, it's too much. Carolyn, it's too much, but I do, I just don't know any other way than to truly go all in on. And so it's like, now it's not just my, my endeavors in running or whatever. It's like mine and theirs and theirs. And it's a lot, it's a lot to take on when you're that kind of a empathetic person. But I think it's mm-hmm. those people who are drawn to, to coaching in the first place anyway, right? So True. It, it's just so interesting. Yeah. And oh, man, like, there's so much I want to talk with you about. Um, but we, we do have to, to wrap this up. I thought it would be fascinating to finish by because you're not coaching Natasha anymore. I think you stopped mm-hmm. coaching her in 
2021. And mm-hmm. I love to know your thought process around that decision to step away from high performance mm-hmm. coaching. What was that like? Oh, well, don't get me wrong. These decisions don't come lightly. You know, it, I really miss coaching her. I miss coaching. I coached for years at our local club. We started the club here back a hundred years ago. And uh, in fact, even doing this podcast, I found myself messaging a few of my, uh, just, just some of my special athletes over the years that I've maintained contact with, you know, and, um, uh, but you know, life is full of change and it's a, it's always, it's always a journey. So, uh, as it happens, I, I have the need to do some traveling both for work and for personal reasons. And you cannot be, if you can't be present, you mm-hmm. can't be coaching, mm-hmm. especially at a, especially at a, at any level, honestly, if the if performance is the goal, I have to be able to see my athletes and what their experience right. is. And so I can't physically, if I can't physically be there. And so I was ready for making a, you know, making a, a change so that it, I guess in this chapter now, my kids are grown. I've got my last little baby out the door and headed for Australia. And uh, it's just a new zone for me personally. And just recognizing that I need to take the steps to be there for me. Yes. And so mm-hmm. it's a, a kind of a selfish move, if you will. But I think with COVID, a lot, a lot of things sort of, you know, there was a lot of reflective time there mm-hmm. and, uh, at the club level, the club was not, we weren't meeting because we simply couldn't meet. And suddenly I wasn't at the track Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and everything in between. And, uh, I missed the kids and the people, but not, I didn't miss that time. I was able to spend it with my family, which I really loved. I really am grateful for my kids all these years. I had kids that were wonderful track athletes that I coached actually in their, in the heights of their careers as well. But I realized how, you know, how much time I spent with other, other kids and people that I was coaching, you know, and I'm, so I was grateful to have that time with them. And then in, on a romantic note, the man in my life happens to live over in Switzerland. Mm. So I need to be traveling across the ocean every so often. (laughs) And it's great. I have a wonderful life there. I have a wonderful life here. So Tash, yeah, that was the hardest with Natasha, but she also, as, as the mature emotional and spiritual woman that she is, she could understand my reasons, but I'm not ever far from her or really any of the athletes I've coached. They can reach out to me anytime. I just don't have to, plan their program and be there all the right, time. You right. Know? And she, that's so, what she said. She said, you still come out occasionally yeah. to some of her sessions and, and Jim mm-hmm. and Mary are there and we got the whole backstory oh, on who friends. they are. Yes. And that was just a lot of fun. So uh, it just yeah. sounds like it was mm-hmm. the right time and, and family. I think the pandemic caused a lot of us to reflect in that way mm-hmm. and uh, figure out what our priorities are. And it sounds like family is so important to you. And I, I just, I have to read this because I got this off your website and uh, it's just so brilliant. It says, I've raced all over the world. I've won medals at the Olympics, Commonwealth Games and World Championships. I've held every Canadian middle distance running record, but I'm most proud to say I have four gold medals in raising four children. Oh, did I write that? You wrote that (laughs) and it is 
brilliant. It is brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. That, that website was a COVID project. I love that you guys have done what you've done as a result of, of spending time and, and, you know, reflecting on where you want to go in your life. But I wanted to provide resources, really simple resources for people that want to get off the couch, want to maybe learn to run, maybe learn to run a little bit faster and just have some really basic programs and resources for, for free because I know they work and there are many things out there that mm, aren't maybe as as uh, effective as I, I'd like to suggest they could be, mm-hmm. you right. know. So, mm-hmm. yep. so that was really, really a fun thing. Uh, to get off the ground. Good for yeah. you. Well, it's a, it's an incredible resource and we'll also link that up in the show notes so people can go. There's a lot of free stuff on there and just really good, solid uh, advice and, and tips. And you're just, you're just you like in this conversation, that is who you're going to get on the website and in the videos. And I've, I've watched many of them myself and they're excellent. So oh, that's great. Yeah. That's just great. finishing up here. Um, what is, what's your relationship with running looking like these days? Where, where does running fit in oh, for you? It's, oh, personally, I've probably, maybe never enjoyed my running more, honestly. It's always been my piece, I guess, when I get a chance to make, do it. But since I'm not out there coaching, I've had more time to just go putter along the ocean or in the forest when when I want to, you know, for myself. And I, I don't run so much, but I, I do it regularly, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I, I relish in the fact that I can do that when I luckily don't I do listen to my body and don't push myself but I still love to go out and oh every so often I do do some sort of interval session only I'm horrified at that I can't lift my legs very well anymore (laughs) (laughs) it's funny but and I love um I am what's called a mentor coach Mm -hmm. and so I love being able to work with those younger coaches or even older coaches that are deciding to go through our Athletics Canada uh, coaching certification programs. And so I can, you know, help them through their profiles and help them through mm-hmm. their portfolios. And I'm, I meet them for their practices and give them pointers. And it's, it's always very, it's a very positive experience because anybody that wants to venture into this sport and learn and become the best coach they can, it, it's all about practice and experience. Mm-hmm. And so we make suggestions and work together. And I, that is what gets me through, I guess, transitioning away from physically coaching athletes. Yeah. I'm still, still involved. involved. It's important you're still to stay fulfilled involved. with what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we are yeah. the Inspired Souls podcast. So we always like to ask everyone, uh, and in your case in particular, where did you find inspiration when you were competing at a high level? And where do you find inspiration today? Oh, inspiration inspiration that's a really open-ended question yeah (laughs) it it is i i don't know i think i've been lucky to be able to um, appreciate just new experiences always and so i love being spontaneous and and uh what that what that feels like when you take on something new and give it everything you've got. And so with running, it speaks to me like, uh, I've said this before. It's like, it's like life because you, 
you you feel so much when you are able to run and experience the the love and life around us and the I know I'm so I'm so woohoo but I really am that's where that's the space that it comes from for me and when the goal is to just enjoy a saunter at the beach that's what I do but if if I was to jump into a a race so to speak then all of a sudden you know we're going to be competitive and that's a new experience again altogether I think it's about it's about balancing and just embracing the things that come your way. And I think that's always been my inspiration and why I keep sort of moving in somewhat different directions, but at the same time, they're all related because they mm-hmm. flow. It's yeah. a, it's a process. It's always a journey. Well, it's almost like your early, your opening story about just following those breadcrumbs, like, oh, I like this. I'm going to do it a little bit more. You're continuing to do that and you just evolve in every chapter of your life. And it's just been, such a, a treat to spend this hour and a little bit with you. And I know there's just so much more we could have talked about. We'll have to have you back someday. But Lynn, you're just an absolute legend in the sport. I think recently you were named Canada's greatest distance runner by uh, by Canadian title. Running Magazine. <laughs> uh, you still hold records. You had records that lived for decades. And I think just recently, Gabriella debut Stafford um, in the mm-hmm. last few years just broke your 1500 meter record. It just went on and on and on because you are absolutely amazing and you're doing so much for the sport and giving back in, in just myriad ways. So we just loved this time with you and thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate our conversation. It was lovely. Thank you. Thank you.